Matthew is such a common name. Uh, in fact, if you come down to Kerala, in every family you might have a couple of Matthews. I'm sure all these parents named their children as Matthew uh, after Matthew of the Bible. Now, what's interesting about Matthew, Matthew the Apostle is, despite writing one of the biggest books in the New Testament, he wrote very little about himself. Uh, his focus was always to showcase Christ. So today, let's look at what we know from the Bible about Matthew the Apostle. And for this today, we will read from the book of Luke and Luke's description about Matthew and his call. So let's look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 27 to 32. It goes like this. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now we need to understand how tax collectors were viewed in that society. They were some of the most hated people in the Jewish community. And the reason why the Jews hated the tax collectors so much is because they were taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans, who, who were the foreign power at that time ruling over Israel. And how, how the whole tax business worked is that the Jews would set out these, uh, they would have these geographical areas marked out as tax districts. And for each tax district, they would call for an auction. And whoever bids the highest amount would get the rights to collect the taxes for that area. And anything that you collect over and above that amount goes to your personal kitty. So for example, I'm a tax collector and, I, and, and my bid was say 50 lakhs and 50 lakhs was the highest bid. Anything I collect over and above that 50 lakhs comes to me. And therefore what this did is it led to these tax collectors extorting people because the more they extort, they would fatten their, their own purses and they would enrich their own lives. As a result, they were seen as some of the most corrupt and detestable people in the society. And because they happen to be extorting their own people and giving it to the Romans, in the society their standing was, was it, 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 it is written that their standing was, was like that of a pig or like that of a swine. So people hated them. They would, they, people would not allow them to, to be living near where the regular Jewish people would live. They were excommunicated from their home, from their society, and they would live in separate quarters. The other thing that, 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 that we can notice that a Jew, uh, a Jew would not allow a tax collector to come and give a testimony in a court of law. So if you look at it in every which way, the tax collector lived a pretty lonely life and he lived with other group of tax collectors and other sinners. Now, when we read this particular chapter, it says that later as Jesus left the town, he saw Levi, who is also called as Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And it says, follow me and be my disciple. And it says, Levi got up, 
left everything and followed Christ. This is the phrase that really caught my attention. It says, Levi left everything and followed him. I think amongst all the disciples that Jesus had, Matthew was possibly the one who had to give up the most in terms of his material possession to follow Christ. Because if you look at it, he had he was collecting taxes. He was he was living a pretty pretty good life in terms of uh, in terms of his finances. He he had the might of the Roman government behind him. He could do whatever he wanted. They would protect him, and nobody could really touch him in the society. Despite all of this, when Jesus asked him to follow him, he got up and followed him. Possibly Levi was observing Jesus Christ because the previous story speaks about Jesus healing the healing the paralytic. So, so possibly that story reached Matthew's ears and Matthew was observing Jesus Christ. And Matthew, by this act of following Christ, what he did is he was giving up his, his, his material possessions, he was giving up his financial security and he was going behind a man who claimed that he was the Messiah. Now following Jesus was a very unpopular thing to do. Now, if you look at it, um, if anybody is, is getting reformed, you would expect that person to go from bad to good. You would not expect him to go from bad to worse. Here, he was as it is in a bad, he, he was as it is not, not, he didn't have a good standing in front of his society. And they would expect him, if he were to get reformed, they would expect him to come back to the society and leave his job of collecting taxes. But here he was going to leave that and he was going to go behind a man who was seen as a heretic in the Jewish community. Jesus was not a popular figure like how he is today. Following Jesus meant that you can be persecuted. Jesus himself was being hounded by the authorities of that time to crucify him. And Matthew decided to follow Christ. And once you leave the tax collector's job, there's no way for you to come back. So Matthew was leaving it for good. He was taking a decision to follow Christ and not come back. In fact, the other disciples of Jesus who were fishermen, we know that later uh, after Jesus' death, some of them actually went back to fishing. Matthew could have never thought of anything like that. But he heeded the call of Jesus Christ and decided to follow him. Now, I was also thinking about the life of Apostle Paul. If you look at it, Apostle Paul also, he had a lot of things which he forsook for the sake of following Christ. In fact, he explains this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, Once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it says, For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could follow Christ. It says that for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, Matthew and Paul, they saw that Jesus Christ was the most valuable thing. They treasured Christ. And when they treasured Christ, everything else that they held on in life became worthless when compared to the value that Jesus gave. Now, how many of us really uh, mourn or weep over the trash that goes out of a house every day morning? I'm sure we don't 
we don't trash. We, we would want it to just get out of our home. And here Paul says that he counts everything else as rubbish or everything else as garbage when you compare with the value that Christ offered you. So for Matthew, when he looked at Jesus and when he understood the message of Jesus and the truth about Jesus, his job, his security, the might of the Roman Empire which was behind him, none of that mattered. It says he got up and began to follow Christ. The point that I want to make is discipleship begins with treasuring Christ. When you treasure Christ and when you grapple with the fact that this is the Son of God who gives you life and who gives you hope and who changes your destiny, nothing else matters. Only Christ matters. You know, I was um, a couple of months back, I was reading about the story of this hospital called the John Memorial, Bishop John Memorial Hospital in Anantnag in Kashmir. Now, this is a 110-year-old hospital. And I think in the late 80s, this hospital had shut down because of the militancy in that region. And there was this doctor, she's a gynecologist called Dr. Sarah Nageshwari. She's from a place called Rajamandri in Andhra Pradesh. She felt, she felt led by the Lord to go and serve in this particular hospital. So she went there, she's, she's a woman. Just imagine, she went to a place which is infested with terrorism. And she went there and worked on reviving this hospital. And, and, and she formed a team and they worked towards getting this hospital back in shape. And some of those people who joined her actually left their government jobs and teamed up with her to run this hospital. And, and their life in that place even today, you know, they live life on the edge. In fact, in fact, in fact if you read her stories, if you read, her, read about her testimony, it's just incredible what this amazing woman of God has done. Once there was, once there was a major strife in the valley there and, uh, and, 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 these, and there was a mob which was coming to attack them and they huddled in the hospital compound and they prayed and, and the Lord sent rains. And you know, it's a very cold place and, and when the rain comes, it's very uncomfortable. And then these people dispersed. She talks about how they regularly give out Urdu tracts and talk about Jesus Christ to the people who come there. There was another time when, because of some issue that happened in the United States, there was a lot of angst against the Christians and, and, and the militants led by the Hezbollah Mujahideens. They wanted to come into this hospital and, and, uh, and they wanted to, I think, vandalize the place. And in her testimony, she speaks about how she and the children, the children and the, and the, and the women in the hospital, they gathered together to pray while the men stood outside trying to offer some kind of resistance. And as they kept praying and as this mob was advancing to the hospital, there arose a confusion between the people in the crowd. And they began to argue with one another and eventually they dispersed. God actually confused them. You know, miracles like this happen in that particular place where this lady is serving. And she's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think she's taking so much of risk and living right under the nose of these militants. She's seeing, she's seeing guns and bombs every day in that valley. Why do you think she and her team is doing it? She could have easily worked somewhere else in the city and earned a living. But why? She treasures Christ. For her, when compared to Christ, nothing else mattered. Christ was her greatest gain 
and she was living that life and she is continuing to live that life in Anantnag. So the first point that I wanted to say is discipleship begins with treasuring Christ. Now moving on. Now we don't know much about uh, uh, much about Matthew's life later. Um, like I said, Matthew's focus was to portray Jesus Christ as the Messiah of the Jews. But but one thing that history tells us is Matthew later uh, he went and ministered in the regions of Persia, which is today's Iran, and later he went to Africa. And and history says that in Ethiopia. Matthew was stabbed to the ground and later he was beheaded. He gave up his life for Christ. Now, I was just thinking, Matthew was a tax collector who was seen as a scum of the society, who the people hated, but eventually God used Matthew in, in the regions of Persia and Africa and God, God led him to write the Gospel of Matthew, which later got included in the canon and which we read even today. Did Matthew's past, have you ever thought about this? Did Matthew's past come in the way of him being used by the Lord? No, it didn't. In fact, even today, the gospel of Matthew is being read by God's people all over the world. And in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes several portions from the Old Testament trying to get the Jews to to, to, to reason and to understand for themselves that this is the person, Jesus Christ is the person who is the Messiah which God had promised. And, and, and it's amazing that when someone is truly forgiven by God, that his past absolutely has no impact on what God can do. In, in fact, again, I want to just go back to some of the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the beautiful chapter of love. It says that love keeps no record of being wronged. And that's what the love of God does. It keeps no record of being wronged. wronged. All your past, all your filth, all the shameless acts that you have done has all been paid for. You are forgiven. If you have truly repented, then there's no need for you to battle those thoughts. Satan will often bring those thoughts to your mind, but you can be assured that you are totally forgiven. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's why we say you're being born again. You're like a new creation. You've had nothing to do with your past. Your past is forgiven and done with. You've become a new creation. Again, reading on, you know, in Philippians chapter uh, 3, it says, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. It says, I press on and it says, forgetting the past. You know, oftentimes uh, I have seen that Christians battle with thoughts of their past. Yes, your past might have been ugly. Your past might have been difficult, but the fact is you can forget your past. Why? Because God has forgiven you. The price of your sin has been paid for. You are set free. And you need to live in the joy of that fellowship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, when people sinned, they would bring sacrifices. And sacrifices, when they offer, God would not punish the people. 
it would give them an external reprieve. But within their conscience, their sin would still be there. But you know, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, what the book of Hebrews talks about is that with the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished, even your conscience is swept clean. Let's look at that verse, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. It says that the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer would cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. It says the blood of Jesus Christ will purify our conscience, even our conscience, our whole being is being purified when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've become a new creation. That's what being born again is all about. You know, for Christ to make us useful, our past does not come in his way. Look at how Matthew was used. While we don't know much about Matthew, like I said, one of the best books in the New Testament was written by him and it continues to edify his church, God's church, even today. Recently, there was the story which was circulated in one of our groups about uh, this person called Rennie George. And uh, Rennie was, Rennie became infamous, uh, I think in the 80s or 90s because of a twin murder that he did in Kerala. He had killed his uncle and aunt and the way he plotted that murder and later his escape and his eventual hiding uh, was, was all uh, made into a movie uh, a couple of, many years ago. And uh, Rainey, while he was serving, I mean, eventually he gets caught and while he was serving his prison sentence, he came to know Christ and he had a major turnaround. In fact, after he finished serving his uh, life term, uh, which is I think about 15 years, he came back to Bangalore and he set up a home where he takes care of the children of people in the jail. And the reason why he does that is because he believes that these children, if left to themselves, will follow the footstep of their parents and turn into criminals. So he has set up a home where he lives along with them and gives them education and gives them instruction from the world and, 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 and tries, to, tries to develop them to be good citizens. And the government recognized this by honoring him with the Best Citizen Award a couple of years back. Now, did his past come in the way of God using him? No. I remember many years back when I was in college, we went for a Christmas program to the Trivandrum Central Jail where Rennie was. And uh, we walked into this big jail compound and, and there's a big ground and right in the middle of the ground there's a watchtower. And we were having this program below at the watchtower. I remember Benji was also with me. And as we walked in, we saw this big burly man with a string around his waist and with the keys to the cells, the, the prison cells. So, so when we inquired, we figured out that for those who showed their good conduct in the jail, the cops would give them some responsibility within the jail. And he was in charge of, un of unlocking the, some of these cells and letting these people out when there was a program. And that was because of the good conduct that he was demonstrating there. So Rennie's life by then had already begun to change. Now, if you talk to this man, you will know how God changed and transformed his life. And today he continues to be a tool in God's hand in the society that God has placed him in. Yes, his past was bad, his past was gory, but today he's being used as an effective instrument of God. So I just want to ask all of us, are we battling with our past? If we are battling with our past, 
Let's remember that we are forgiven. Let's remember that we are saved. And let's remember that that is not going to come in the way of God using you for his plans and for his purpose. In fact, I love this verse, John chapter 8 and verse 36, which says that, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. In fact, we sing that song as well, which, which is on these lines. So the second point that I wanted to leave with you is, discipleship and repentance breaks you away from your past. It gives you a clean break and it makes you a useful instrument in the hand of God. Moving on, if you look at uh, verse 29, it says, Later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now this is a beautiful picture if you can visualize in your mind. Matthew got saved. Matthew decided to follow Christ. And what does he do next? He calls all the people that he is associated with. Now who does he call? Obviously he doesn't have much friends in the Jewish society. He calls other tax collectors. In some, and in some places it says other tax collectors and other sinners. Now who would have been these other sinners? Now I was reading a book which said that uh, the tax collectors, because they, they didn't have much of morals, they generally associated with the other worst people in the society. So their friends would have been obviously other tax collectors, prostitutes and people like that. People who had absolutely no standing in the society. So he called all these riffraff in the society and held a party. And he called Jesus. Now this is a beautiful picture. If I had the skill of painting, I would have loved to paint on a canvas this particular picture. You have, you have tax collectors and all the other sinners seated around the table. And where do you find Jesus? We find Jesus in the midst of that. Jesus is in the midst of that, preaching hope to these people who are sinners. It's a beautiful picture of all the evils and all the ills and all the sins in the society being represented around the table. And right in the table is the message of the cross of Jesus, shining like a beacon of light to a world lost in darkness, darkness brought about by sin. Jesus in the midst of sinners, that is where he is. He came into this world to reconcile people to himself. He came into this world to offer the punishment of your sin and my sin. And it says that, uh, uh, it says that you know, he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. If you remember the story of the, of the prodigal son, he came for people like the prodigal. You, know, you might have messed up your life. You might have gone and broken all the rules and all God's commandments. But if you return home, if you decide to repent, you know, that is where you find hope. You find hope in Jesus Christ. And he has come into this world to give you hope and to give you a new future. And he's calling the whole world to repent and turn to him. It says that uh, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Folks, I just want to ask us, you know, today the world is going through this pandemic, there are a lot of people who are going through mental depression. There are a lot of people who are going through physical stress. There are people taking their lives. 
And if you look at it, the only one who can give you hope is Jesus Christ. But are we making him known? After having experienced, imagine we, we knew a cure for this particular virus and we're keeping it with ourselves and not letting the world know. How bad would that be? Let's become like a Matthew. Matthew found hope, Matthew found forgiveness, and immediately he decides to make Jesus Christ known. The Christ who gave him hope and the Christ who gave him a future. So let's decide to make Jesus Christ known to those around us. So therefore the final point that I wanted to say is discipleship calls for making Christ known. And the world needs this now more than ever. You know, recently when uh, Ravi Zacharias passed away, I was just listening to, I mean, a lot of people were sharing his videos and people were sharing his uh, his thoughts, uh, his articles that he had written. And, and and I love this this thing that he says. He says there are four fundamental questions of life and they boil down to origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And it is in the Bible, it is in Christ that we find answers to all the four. We find answers to the origin of life. We find answers to the meaning of life. We find the reason why morality has certain absolute standards. And we find answer to our destiny as well. And all of this is mentioned in the Holy Bible. So let's please make Christ known. Discipleship calls for making Christ known. So as we conclude today, I just want us to just think briefly about these few things that we learned from the life of Matthew. Very simple truths, but truly life-changing. Discipleship begins with treasuring Christ. Let's treasure Christ. And when we treasure Christ, everything else pales in comparison. Everything else would seem like rubbish for us. He is our greatest priority. Point number two that we saw is discipleship gives you a break from your past. It gives you a clean break. It doesn't matter how much you have messed up. All that matters is have you repented and have you found forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And if you have, you are a new creation and God can make you a new person. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you have Rahab, who was a prostitute. She trusted in the Lord. The Bible is full of characters who had an ugly past right from Matthew to Paul to several of them who, who, who were going away from God and his laws but who turned to become great apostles of Jesus Christ. So, so, so the cross of Christ gives you a clean break from your past. And let's live, let's live knowing that we are forgiven and let's not dwell on our past and let's, let's enable, let, let's, let's be willing instruments in the hand of God to use this. And finally, the world needs hope. The world needs that healing which you and I have. And let's decide to make Christ known. So with that, I would like to close for today. And I hope that uh, these words stay with you. May His name be glorified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for reminding us a couple of things from the life of Matthew. Father, we pray that, uh, that, uh, that you would enable us to realize that you are our greatest treasure, Lord. Father, when compared with what you offer us, Lord, nothing else matters. We pray that we would always treasure our relationship with you and we would always 
have that perspective now that nothing else should ever pull us back from having that great relationship with you Lord. and father god we want to thank you that uh, our past is forgiven we want to thank you for uh, the fact that 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 all our sins were paid for by the cross of calvary and we thank you that we are a new creation and we pray that we would live in that newness of life that you've given us lord and father god we also pray that you would enable us to make you known make you known to our friends to our neighbors and to everybody lord as the world is looking for hope and as the world is looking for meaning in life we pray that you would give us the grace the strength and the opportunity make yourself thank you father thank you for this day in jesus christ name